Salwate de Skipoli and welcome to another episode of Latin in Layman's with your host Liam C-O-N-N-E-R-L-Y, which spells Connerly. Don't know why I did that. Uh but if you guys can hear in the background, I've got a little bit of running water. I'm actually outside. Um there's quite a bit of uh stuff going on inside the house currently, so to escape and find a little bit more solitude to bring you guys the relative pronouns and clauses, um, just came outside. So I might not even throw some music on this time around. I might just, uh, if it sounds very tranquil and nice and doesn't sound like crappy quality, then I'll keep it in there. So, um... Without further ado, this might be a little bit of a longer one, but stick with me. It's a very good one. Um, this uh, is in conjunction with Wheelox chapter 17, uh, which is the relative pronouns and clauses. <clears throat> there is really one and one very important rule to remember here that I want you guys to take away. So, you know, how I mentioned in the last episode how oh, I'm going to sneeze. I'm going to sneeze. Oh, my God. Oh, I hate that. Oh, I hate that. Oh, God. All right. Well, never mind. Uh, As I mentioned in the last episode, we have, uh, or what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you um, a few important notes to remember at the very beginning of each podcast that I throw out so if you ever need to refer to anything and you don't want to have to go through all of the um, details of each chapter then just refer to the beginning of each podcast where I kind of go over those very important rules to take away Um, so this one is for um, uh, this chapter chapter 17 So a relative pronoun agrees with its antecedent in number and gender, but not case. Okay. It derives its case from its use in its own clause. So, yeah, a little bit, a little tricky there, but we will, we'll try and flesh it out and make it sound a little bit more uh, understandable. Clause refers to a dependent or subordinate thought or sentence which is embedded inside another thought or sentence. Nice. Uh, So when the clause is called subordinate or dependent, it means it can't stand alone grammatically. Therefore, if I said when I'm in bed, uh, picture an ellipsis, dot, 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 yeah, you kind of go to bed like, well, what? Um, Because it's not a full thought, right? So although you're... Although you're tired, dot, 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 well, I know that you're, you're going with that just to be safe. You ought to try and finish the grammar, right? Why are you tired? As they say. Anyways, I think you get the point. The presence of a, a subordinate conjunctions like when, although, as, turn sentences like I'm home, you tried, uh, they say, into clauses which cannot stand alone. Okay. Moving on to the term relative. So this term is used for the type of clause we're studying in this chapter. 
and it refers to a certain sort of subordinate clause, one which begins with what grammarians call a relative pronoun. English has a number of relative pronouns, primarily um, who and which, but also what and that can sometimes function as relative pronouns, and as we'll soon discuss, slash discover, in English, even the absence of a relative pronoun can indicate the beginning of a relative clause. Fun stuff all around. You're going to learn a lot this time around. I'm going to double that nice that I said earlier. <laughs> Allergies still picking up. Alrighty. A relative pronoun pronoun is called relative because it relates a subordinate thought to a noun outside the relative clause. To put it into more of layman's terms, see what I did there? Um, the entire clause functions as a sort of large complex adjective modif modifying the noun, uh, which is called its antecedent. And just like an adjective, the whole relative clause describes or defines that noun. So let me introduce a sentence to you. So I have siblings who eat pizza, okay? Who is a relative pronoun? I have a pizza which eats my siblings, which is a relative pronoun. This is my pizza that eats my siblings. This is another relative pronoun. What my pizza eats is none of your business. What is a relative pronoun? And finally, or do you want me or, or do you want to be the food my pizza eats? The absence of the relative pronoun between food and my pizza is also a relative pronoun of sorts. Don't know why I picked pizza, but yep, there are di five different ways of representing the relative pronoun in English that's more wacky than my pizza. Notice that each of these relative pronouns introduces a clause called a relative clause. I've underlined them here. Who eats pizza? Which eats my friends? That eats my friend and my siblings. Not friends, siblings. What my pizza eats and my pizza eats. It's like Pizza the Hut from uh, Spaceballs. Um, where the relative pronoun is omitted entirely in these cases. So in a sense, each of these relative clauses is really a little separate thought. A separate sentence with its own grammar. In the clause, who eats pizza? Who functions as the subject? Eats is the verb and pizza is the direct object. If, the, if you turn the dependent relative clause into a independent sentence and use and, so it reads, and they eat pizza, you can see very clearly that they, the equivalent of who, is the subject of the sentence. In the relative clause, which eats my pizza, which again is functioning as the subject, as you can easily see if you turn the relative clause into an independent sentence and rephrase it as, and it eats my siblings. And the same for that eats my siblings. It's equivalent to, and it eats my siblings. But while all these clauses have full grammar, nominative subjects, verbs, objects, and so on, um, none of them can stand alone grammatically and make sense because they're all introduced by the relative pronoun. A, a subordinating conjunction, as I like to say, that creates a non-independent clause. That's what clause means.
that there's full, complete, and coherent grammar, but that the statement cannot stand alone and make sense without its aforementioned counterparts, a.k.a. the relative clause. Got it? Cool. Rewind it if you need it. In order to be part of a grammatical construction that makes sense, the relative clause must be embedded inside a larger sentence or thought which is not, or at least less, subordinate grammatically. And the way the clause is connected to the main sentence is through the relative pronoun, which has an antecedent, a noun that it's tied to in the main sentence, and that the clause modifies. So moving on to antecedents here. Uh, they get their name from the fact that they tend to seed, uh, which means to come, and ante, which means bo before the relative clause that modifies them. So they come before the relative clause that modifies them. Ha! Love that. <coughs> Excuse me. Whoa. <laughs> before we take the next step and look at how relative pronouns and antecedents interact and how the Latin relative pronoun is formed, Let's make certain that you understand the English side of the equation fully. That's always my modus operandi here. English uses its relative pronoun forms who, which, what, both as relative pronouns and as interrogatives, question words. Um, we went over those a little bit, but we go over those more right now. Uh, but while these forms are identical, their grammatical functions couldn't be more different. So interrogative pronouns are used in independent thoughts such as what are you doing? Where what introduces a question, that's a full thought versus what you are doing, which is not a full thought. It needs an independent sentence to attach to, such as it is wrong creating a full thought. What are you do what you are doing is wrong. There, what is functioning as the relative pronoun. Therefore, in English, it's important to ask yourself Whenever you run into who, what, or which, if that W word is introducing a question and thus part of the main sentence. If so, it's interrogative, not relative. This is mostly true of Latin as well, and you'll learn very quickly how to tell whether a W word is interrogative or relative from context. I promise you. So here in the Latin relative pronoun singular forms, going from masculine, feminine, neuter, qui, qui, quad, cuis, 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 um, qui, 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 quam, quam, quad, quo, quam, quo, qua, quo. Even though the nominative singular forms qui, qui, quad are irregular and you, you'll just have to memorize them, which are pretty easy, qui, qua, quad. I, already, I, I think I like memorized it the first time I recited it. The neuter forms quad shows a final D similar to the D seen in Illid and a characteristic of archaic neuter singular pronoun forms in Latin. And because the neuter nominative is quad, the mean, that means rather that the accusative singular is quad also. Notice there's a small irregularity in the base in the genitive singular and dative singular where the standard base Qua, Q-U, is replaced by C-U. Probably by no other reason than I'm going to sneeze this time. Q-U-S, which would be Q, but it, instead it's a C. was hard to say. Maybe I'm not going to sneeze again. I'm jinxing myself. I hate this. 
By now, you should expect the genitive singular to end in I-U-S, as it does in many pronoun forms, and the dative singular to end in I, while the accusative singular masculine ends E-M. An ending that looks like it's drawn from third declension. Its feminine counterpart and the ablative singular forms follow first, second declension forms. Beautiful, right? Love that kind of stuff. Very easy to remember. That's stuff that we learned a long time ago that we should have very ingrained. And if not, then shame on you. So, here's the plural of the Latin relative pronoun, masculine, feminine, neuter. Qui, 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 quorum, 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 quibus, 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 quos, quas, qui, quibus, quibus, quibus. Note that the nominative forms in the masculine and feminine qui, qui are totally predictable. If one assumes first declensions or first or second declension endings, <coughs> rather. So not so much, however, for the neuter nominative and accusative plural, which, which we get a qui, which means the same holds true for its accusative plural counterpart, qui, which it must be because the neuter nominative and accusatives are always the same. The genitive plural runs in... Well, it runs... Ugh. It doesn't run into anything. It returns to the first and second declension in an utterly predictable way, producing quorum, 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 as does the accusative plural masculine and feminine, quos and quas. In, qua, in contrast, in contrast, with all these cues, the dative and ablative plural form quibus seems to derive from the third declension. Luckily, almost half of the endings come from the first and second declension. But, I mean, quibus, we, as I've iterated before and said, just over and over, Dative and ablative plural are always going to be the same, featuring all yawn by Liam. So, here, here's the translation of the relative pronoun, which is relatively easy. To begin with, there's no difference in translation between the singular and the plural. English does distinguish between singular and plural relative pronoun forms, so the singular translations here are used also in the plural. English spelling presents one challenge in the genitive singular where the proper form is spelled whose, a spelling that distinguishes that form from the contraction whose with an apostrophe s, or as I like to say, who with a ticky mark s, a shortened form of who is. Also, English retains an archaic objective form whom, used in the non-nominative cases such as of whom, an alternative for whose, to whom, in the dative, and uh, whom in the ablative, or uh, whom in the accusative, rather, and by, with, from, whom in the ablative. And here's one thing to note. Where I put who in the masculine and feminine forms and which in the neuter forms, because that is the most common translation for those genders. I've on, not only really uh, wanted to represent the the full reality of the issues involved in translating the relative pronoun. So, in particular, which can be and often is used as a translation for the masculine and feminine form of a relative pronoun. So, especially when it's antecedent is something that is masculine or feminine in Latin, but is perceived in English as an it, such as love. Right? We call love an it. 
but the Romans called love a heat. Therefore, the proper form of the relative pronoun would be qui, der deriving its gender from its antecedent, amor, which is masculine. And that raises a very important question, indeed essential element, in dealing with relative pronouns. What do they agree with? They're clearly drawn uh, in two directions, right? Their antecedent, the noun they modify in a way, has a number, gender, and case. They should agree with that in all three grammatical aspects. Like any adjective, like any adjective, rather. But they also serve as a particular function inside their own clauses. So while there's no problem with them agreeing in number and gender with their antecedent, what about case? Right, we got to think about that with Latin. Should they be the same case as their antecedent, or should they take the si the case necessary to show their function inside their own clause? Ah, interesting. If the case of the antecedent and the case required by the relative clause has happened to be the same, well, um, no problem. But statistically, that's not very likely. What if they're not? Which case? is more important for the relative pronoun to take? The answer is, well, if you think about it, it's obvious, the case inside the clause. <clears throat> That's because even if the relative pronoun doesn't agree with its antecedent in case, it still does in number and gender, which makes it almost often very easy to see which noun outside the relative clause it is its antecedent to. Uh, so the directional factor, which dictates most adjective case endings, isn't an overriding issue in this circumstance. So an important thing, a relative pronoun agrees with its antecedent in number and gender, but not case. It gets its case from its own clause. Remember, as I said in the beginning of the uh, podcast. So take, for example, this headline in the newspaper this morning. So stores finally opened to the public, which had been closed for the prior three months. Yes, this was written amid the coronavirus pandemic. What case would the relative pronouns antecedent to the public be in Latin? Accusative. It's the direct object in the main sentence, but how is the relative pronoun which functioning in its own clause? which has been closed is equal to the stores had been closed. It's the subject, a.k.a. nominative. That means it's neuter plural because it's antecedent and nominative because it's function in its own clause. Or rather, it's functioning in its own clause. The neuter nominative plural form of the relative pronoun qui, qui, quad in this case would be qui. So... Thank you again. I will wrap up this with a Tempest Descalere. And for all of you, just a friendly reminder to go on to Apple Podcasts. Give Liam your boy here. Uh, if you uh, are learning something and enjoying these podcasts, uh, go ahead. Leave me a five-star review. Say something nice, maybe. Help the algorithm. Help the algorithm in my favor. All that good stuff. So um, guaranteed I'm probably going to sneeze five times after I stop this podcast. But um, until then, I hope you guys have a wonderful day and much love, y'all.